1: Welcome back to the Before You Die podcast where every week we watch a movie from the 1001 Movies to Watch Before You Die list and give you our opinion on whether or not it's worth your time. In this episode we discuss the 1982 sci-fi horror classic The Thing. In remote Antarctica a group of American research scientists are disturbed at their base camp by a helicopter shooting at a sled dog. When they take in the dog, it brutally attacks both human beings and canines in the camp, and they discover that the beast can assume the shape of its victims. A resourceful helicopter pilot played by Kurt Russell and the camp doctor, played by Richard Dysart, lead the camp crew in a desperate, gory battle against the vicious creature before it picks them all off one by one. We Got back inside and blew the generator. In six hours, it'll be a hundred below in here. Well, that's suicide. Not for that thing. He wants to freeze now. It's got no way out of here. He just wants to go to sleep in the cold until the rescue team finds it. What can we do? What can we do? Whether we make it or not, we can't let the thing freeze again. Maybe we'll just warm things up a little around here. Getting out of here alive, but neither's that thing. I like the sound effects we do after each synopsis. We're, that's that's all we should do, it's just a sound effect <laughs> podcast, yeah. Just make noises for an hour, yeah. Yeah, we could totally do that. That we, I could be our spin off show.
0: Oh, we could do like that YouTube thing. We can play the movie and we'll just record over the movie, yeah. We'll dub the whole thing, yeah. Mystery, Mystery Science yeah. Theater, yeah,
1: yeah okay so um let's let's talk about the film um so let's start with the cost let's talk about the cost craig craig you want to start
0: okay it's a pretty weird cast i've i've talked to james about this quite a bit because <laughs> it's uh like court russell is awesome in it obviously great main character as mccready don't really know what his role is within the camp and the Same for the rest of the cast. I can't really figure out what they were there for, but like we know, Keith David as Childs, Wilfred Brimley, Dr. Blair. There's so many characters. Um, See, I,
1: when I, when I, with the cast, it's when normally when you talk about films or when I talk about films and the cast, I refer to them as, by their the actors' yeah. names, like their real life names. Um, but with the thing, it's weird because I actually don't think of them as actors. I always refer to them by their names apart from kurt russell and i actually originally thought it was because i kurt russell is a more of a memorable kind of person in this film because kurt russell he's a popular guy same with keith david but i think it's because the characters they, they become the characters in this film like they're so isolated it's such a unique environment to be in it's it's it doesn't feel staged it's it actually feels a little bit realistic in terms of their situation <laughs>
0: Yeah, they, um, the realism is pretty good because uh, I think it was the, anything they recorded on the soundstage, they refrigerated the actual stage. So it was like minus degree. I don't know. It was like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in mm. Celsius, but I think it's like close to freezing nice, anyway. Yeah. Like So everybody was really cold and like they kind of a lot of the stuff was really authentic. Like they're kind of their reactions to things and and how kind of like the breath coming out of their mouth and stuff was actually real it wasn't some sort of effect old school yeah. like effect and uh apparently they went drinking quite a lot uh when they went to the canadian location to film they would go to like a lot of the local bars and get really drunk and hung over <laughs> and uh that kind of added to the whole bond that everybody had yeah. so it does, it seems a lot it seems really natural between each of the actors that they have some sort of... Like, you, you could definitely buy that they've all been stuck there together yeah. for whatever period of time that they've been there. But I, I still... Other than the doctor and the cook, I have no idea what the other people's roles are. And, mm-hmm. and Gary, the the actual military guy.
2: Well, Gary, I'm assuming, is the head <coughs> just to make sure everything goes smoothly yeah. because I don't know what he... I don't even know what they're there for originally. What's the original? Yeah, reason? the, 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 ser- the research. Research. But that's it's fine. That part. works fine. I, but... McCready is a helicopter pilot. There's a cook, obviously. I don't know what Childs does. Oh, he's a helicopter pilot, yeah. Jesus. Um, so he, they all have that. But I just think, again, I think, I think John Carpenter and probably Ridley Scott have a lot to answer for when it comes to Michael Bay. Because <laughs> if you look at the people in, say, Armageddon, you're like, why would they send these up to space? The reason is because people like to see burly character actors do these extraordinary things, which is why you had an alien. Everyone pretty much looked like they were just doing this as a... As a mm-hmm. job, like, they were work, workmen and they were saying, oh, we're not even getting paid enough for this. It's the same with the thing. You're looking at all these people it's like, I feel like scientists and stuff, they wouldn't really be surrounded with the likes of McCready and Giles, but they are. Exactly. And that's why you get films like, uh, like Armageddon where you have uh, oil drillers suddenly going on top of an asteroid. Mm-hmm. But that's what I think, like, that does work about the cast. I think the kind of everyman approach to it makes you kind of put yourself in a situation a bit more. Whereas if yeah. these were... If these were like these some kind of, if they are a group of scientists, I suppose you're not really going to get the same feeling like you. Do. Like how many people know scientists that are on these research missions? Where if you, you, everyone kind of knows someone that drinks too much or a cook that's on his roller roller skates or whatever. Well, not everyone knows these people.
1: I I, I like I'd like to know a cook
2: that's yeah. on roller skates. You can become that cook. If I could become that cook. <laughs> but um, I think that's why again like the characters then. When they do make a stupid decision, it's kind of like, well, the reason maybe he's making a stupid decision is because he's just a normal guy. Like he's not one of those people that's gonna think things through. Like obviously, when you say, yeah, "I'll take that job," in, is it the Antarctic? The Antarctic. In? Yeah. I'm gonna take this job in the Antarctic because it pays. It pays well. That's it. You know what I mean? Like he's a he's a cook pretty much, and he took it. Or Charles, who I don't know what he does. He seems to just be muscle. Or McCready, who. Just seems to want to drink himself to a stupor most days, and then fly a helicopter order days, you know. So
1: yeah, McCready seemed to fit the most in that environment. Like it, he, he seemed like he was Built there for it. Yeah, yeah, like he even so, like the the job itself, the whole concept, the environment is isolated. Mm. They're all this isolated group of of guys, but mm. he isolates himself from them. Yeah, they all have like this communal kind of living space, but he lives in that shack on the edge of the whole kind of complex. Mm, yeah. And that's how you find him. Like he is, like I was saying, like he's actually probably one of the first first gamers <laughs> in cinematic history that you see rage quit. Because <laughs> like he's sitting there, he's talking to his lady chess computer and uh, he loses and then just pours his whiskey in the computer. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> like full rage quit. Like how many times um, have, has she beaten you to, yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> make you do this? Um, but no, I thought MacReady Carrasso was very well placed in that environment there were a couple which like gary who we i think he had a, a quite an ambiguous role but i think he was like because it was a technically it was a u.s government base so he would have technically been like a military personnel personnel yeah because he was the one with the gun he's the guy at the beginning that shoots the norwegian yeah character yeah. In, in the head and does it that way but yeah i, th- I think if you look at those characters mccready definitely fits perfectly in that environment and i think he actually likes being there as well yeah there's no grumbling or anything he's just exists yeah. he's a job's worth possibly yeah. but
2: i i think one of the best performances is the dog at the start he's awesome you feel sorry for him he's getting chased you're like what what's going on why are you trying to shoot this poor dog and then the dog comes in and you're like wait a second this Something's dog up. is sinister yeah. <laughs> he's genuinely he stops and you're thinking this dog is up to something so like yeah. for me the dog gets a lot of props just as much as Kurt Russell, anyway, or uh, Keith <laughs> David. But, no, I think, like, the cast, in terms of what the film is, like, I don't think um, it makes particular sense, but that's fine, because, like I said, I'm not going to watch... Because, let's be honest, the scientists I know are some, like, Brian Cox, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, yeah. Stephen Hawking. I feel like if they were <laughs> I in this know. film, it wouldn't have been half as interesting. If, yeah, but, well, Bill Nye probably could have played Gary. He kind of yeah, looked yeah. a little bit like Gary. Similar face in... But I think um I think it works fine. I think the the cast. I do think maybe it's a time people might be saying this doesn't really make sense. But then, like I said, after seeing Alien, I think that's probably the way to go. You're not gonna have the same um, affiliation to someone who who's a IQ of two hundred and is mm-hmm. investigating whatever. Because I assume as well they'd have a different a different reaction to what's going on as well. So it's not gonna make this where it's more realistic that for people to have these panicked reactions or to. Face it with violence the way, say, Childs... Or not Childs, sorry, the way... Childs does as well, actually, but the way MacReady does. The only Mm. way he knows how is to fight, because that's what he does. Burn it. Yeah, burn it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Why did they have flamethrowers? To melt stuff around. I'm guessing, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, do they actually even call them flamethrowers? I don't know if they call them flamethrowers. I think at one point they... He said,
0: get the the flamethrower. Or get...
1: He says something. He says, get... I'm guessing that because it's this Arctic kind of temperature and it's yeah. continuously mm. low freezing like to extremes, they need some kind of... Quick fix. Quick so, fix yeah. to burn, yeah. to, to melt kind of things, yeah. I suppose. Maybe. Well,
2: yeah. To be honest, may, the whole thing is, maybe the whole thing was, because when you think about... it Was it Copper and maybe the other doctor, uh, Blair? They seem to be most interested in the alien, the idea of the alien and all. So they're the most like, oh, we need to oh, give an autopsy and all this. Maybe that's what the whole backstory is they knew something crashed there and they brought these people just to help them help them find out what it was who knows like that's Mm. the thing Blair
1: was very Blair was very ahead of the curve with his understanding of what they'd found he was the one that did all that research and worked out kind of the the formula the infection rate that kind of thing but that's a good question so like before we move on to the next section like in terms of direction looking at the cast how they dealt with the the stresses of what yeah. was happening who would you say you identified the most with in that cast <laughs> well i think
2: everyone wants the same mccready but in actual fact that, it's probably more like windows cowering in a corner <laughs> yeah, great like but
0: i was gonna say um which one is uh the guy who smokes weed that's not windows it's the he's like the
1: he he's, he's also a, he's, a pilot as well yeah cow- he, uh, what's it, is that palmer is
0: it i think it's palmer the guy who's just real jittery he's always smoking um, oh no he's the mechanic, that's, he, a mechanic? So he,
1: he can fly but he's, that's yeah. why he's always has uh, really grimy hands Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he looks like he's just completely unwashed because yeah. when we saw that at the cinema I was like whoa he's actually really dirty I didn't actually pick up on it on kind of TV yeah. viewing and I'm like why is he really dirty and it, because he's he's the mechanic he's the guy that repairs repairs the shit that mm. he repaired yeah um, He's, but for me, it would be Clark. I think the the dog handler, um, real quiet guy. Yeah. Um, cause he kind of, he has this very specific attitude. He's quite from a personality point of view. He's quite isolated from everyone in the group. Like how McCready physically isolated. He's more socially isolated, but he favors animals over humans and yeah. I hate to say it, but I do actually prefer animals to humans. <laughs> Most humans. Like, you guys are amazing. I I, I like you guys. We <laughs> he, I never
2: got... I never... Like, I understand that he prefers animals, but he saw the thing in action, killing one of his dogs, and then they said,
1: we're going to kill the rest of the dogs, and he kind of flips out one thing. Yeah.
2: You know what's happening, yeah. don't you? Yeah, like, yeah,
1: you, you kind of, like... This thing could be in your dog. Yeah. And um, also, later on, um, when Blair flips out and he's like smashing up all the communications equipment. He's kind of throwing all these seemingly paranoid things out at the group saying, Oh, it's it's gonna get us, it's it's no one's safe and all this kind of stuff. Um, Clark is actually cowering in the corner where they're trying to kind of work out as a team to bring Blair down. Yeah, under control. Um someone mentions Clark's very calculated and someone mentions that um, Blair shot the rest of the dogs, and he went fucking apeshit. And they had to restrain him, and he ran. He he ran off, and then came back. Yeah. But he was the perfect red herring, actually, as well as a character, because you everyone assumed like he always. They're probably been anyway. So. Yeah, and he always looked a bit ill. And after that, he he was very, he was he was always subdued in the film. But after that he was very ominous. He always had his hand behind his back, and most of the scenes after that, he had a scalpel or some yeah. kind of weapon. Mm. And that really helped you as a viewer to kind of accuse him of being, you know, not who he seems. When in fact yeah. he was just, he, I think he was just done by that point. Like, he was just, he was gone. And he ends up getting shot, of course.
2: But it's, it, and I think he was the only car-
1: human that Kurt Russell kills and is he? Because he seems yeah, to just kill people that have actually been affected. So. Yeah, and it's, it was self-defense as well, because yeah. he was... It was like it was Kurt Russell or him, and I'm not saying that if I was in that situation <laughs> I would even think about attacking Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want no to attack stuff. Kurt Russell. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I do that character I think would be if I if I was in that situation I would probably be more like Clark because the animal connection. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Windows. Like I said, I, uh, in my head it's kind of like. Yeah, I, I'd I'd love to be McReady, but no, let's be honest. I feel like Windows. <laughs> I think Mickey. you'd be a good Windows because you'd have like
1: a you'd be like logical about it, and you'd be like, "Come, on, this this situation's messed up. Like, this is the reality of the situation. I just want to get out now." I'm the communications guy, but in the book, actually, the 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 original book, "Who the Goes There?" book, which this was actually based on really closely, there's some slight differences in the way that's communicated out in the book. They don't actually want to communicate out. outwardly because they think that it would they want to stay isolated to get rid rid of of this threat threat. yeah Yeah. so whereas this they're just desperately trying to get some help from like the russian camp but that's what i mean
2: like i think if it was like i'd gone back to my point earlier on about if it was scientists or whatever they might have said okay let's we'll try explain whatever they were like we'll say we need to cut contact we need to stop this because we don't we need to condense this into one small area rather than try and make it any bigger whereas everyone's just like let's just get out of here we need to get out (laughs) of here as quick as possible whereas the only person who was actually thinking that was ironically was someone a man of science was Dr Blair who does destroy this and does destroy the communications and that's before he's taken over by the thing so he decides we need to do all this because otherwise we're going to just attract people here and that's going to spread technical virus we'll say from the world he's the only one who's actually thinking like a man of science in there and that's what happens so where I suppose it just makes it more for me. It's like, of course, why wouldn't you want to get out of this situation? Yeah. You know, like that's one. No, the regular thinking person is just like, get me the hell out of here. I don't yeah. want to be have any part of this anymore. Um, but it's it is good though when I'm thinking about because I know when this first came out, it wasn't particularly critically acclaimed. I know, I think I read read a Roger Ebert review and he said it's fine, it's fun, but it's more of a birth bag of a movie. And I just thought that's. I don't know, I felt it was a little bit dismissive. Yeah, so. a lot
0: of criticism seemed to be around the... The, the disgusting effects, effects yeah. and stuff. And,
2: but then, like, I I think it's not like an alien should be heartwarming, because you have to remember, this was the summer E.T. came out, so I think yeah. maybe people wanted their aliens to be heartwarming and be able to bring plants back to life, and then when they see an alien like this, <laughs> it's not something they want to see. And at the time as well, like, this is, what, the early 80s, 82, so... You're talking Reaganism, Cold War, very Cold War, a lot of paranoia anyway at the time, and even the beginning of the AIDS war. So like, it's not a good time for the American cold American population to have see a film like this that's so based on paranoia, so based on yeah, the, the ugly things not not of this world, but even the ugly things in this world, which yeah. is the mistrust that goes with that or paranoia, paranoia, mm-hmm. anger, everything. So it works, and I think it like I think the the idea of it being so isolated, kind of it works as well because everyone sometimes feels that alone alone like when something's going on it's like oh, I feel so alone whereas this literally is saying, No, no, if you think you're alone, look at these guys, they really are alone like a the, situation. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's I think like the idea of how how sparse it is and even like even the dialogue, the dialogue isn't there's no kind of no one who's a genius, like I said besides maybe Blair, there's no one who's speaking anyone's like any upper language. You know what yeah. I mean? There's no one saying something you're not getting. It's Fairly, it's people kind of on our level trying to comprehend it's something really that's right, far yeah. beyond our level and I think that's what works and that's what the world was because people were suddenly saying well, what happens if Russia and America go to war and like and yeah. there was like I know in the 80s there was genuinely there was Russian sleeper spies in America mm-hmm. being arrested and there was American sleeper spies in the uh, in Russia being arrested like this was genuinely happening in the 80s so people had this genuine mistrust now I, I don't think it's a far spread thing but the fact was there were people that were next door to people, living next door to other people that were spies. And I yeah. think that feeds into it. And I think maybe the cultural context of his time, for whatever reason, people didn't want that. It's kind of like now people don't... After September eleven, people didn't want dark films. They didn't want dark action films or lots of destruction. Whereas since then, people have come to terms with that. And I think with the thing, it was just a wrong time to come around. And it, it's something that Blade Run, which came out on the same day, played with the idea of like what makes us human why who can we trust even if they're different from us, you know like and that's i think people didn't like the idea of that time because they just weren't prepared to yeah they just didn't face really those, accept it like. yeah face whereas now we have that cultural context to look back on i think that's what's aged it better almost because people are able to look at it as a product of the time rather than people saying like oh no this is too much for me right now so yeah. What what about like do you think there's any other reasons why critically it wouldn't have been besides like obviously I, th-
1: I think didn't they wasn't there a whole thing about ET being released kind of in a similar window and everyone was kind of looking at, at, at extraterrestrials as um a friendly force force yeah. through Steven Spielberg's direction and such um it, and it, having like the anti ET which is essentially what this is this is yeah. the the, the, yeah. the polar opposite on the spectrum of that I it mean, was just a few weeks before I think it was, it was a few weeks before. It was four or six weeks or something right. thinking but out I like, it I,
2: like, it. like i i do kind of i I can see why people would have that reaction or but I honestly think i even now i don't I don't understand in terms of as a as a piece of film like the cinematography the script the pacing i think it's um, it's as a horror film as a especially sci-fi horror I think there's maybe two or three films that are Generally, could be considered one of the best in their genre, and this, along with say Alien, would be. it I'm shocked that it was not like I know it wasn't wholly negative, but I mean kind of middling reviews, and to see something like that and it didn't do particularly well in the box office, that does surprise me because, as a piece of film as a piece of cinema, that is it's. Top, it, top it costs core. a
1: lot to make as well. It cost a, I think it was about ten million to make. Yeah. In comparison to Halloween, which costs cop into, I think, $360,000, $370,000 mm. to make, which is drastically less. Yeah, it was um, less. They're way, way less. But
0: I, I, don't, yeah.
2: I think, honestly, I don't think... The, I think the thing is the Carpenter operating at the peak of his powers. I think it's the people he was working <laughs> with. obviously, it just worked together. Like, if you see something like Halloween, obviously, I again, it's really well-directed really well and really effective horror film, whereas this blends horror elements, it blends almost thriller elements, it blends... Um, Sci-fi elements all into this one perfect package, and even then they still have time for levity, and it's not moments; it's just people. Like it could be throwaway lines, like like yeah, fuck you too when um, McCready throws the dynamite at the end. And I think the fact was he was able to weave all these in pretty seamlessly. Like you don't, you wouldn't, none would ever say what's what's the favorite horror film ever. You wouldn't instantly say anything because you're like ah, maybe it's more of a sci-fi film, and you wouldn't say it's a full sci-fi film, but then you say. Oh what any good any good sci-fi horrors or whatever has a bit of comedy and I genuinely think the thing has that like when Gary is tied to the to oh, he's annoying. like can get me off this <laughs> fucking <laughs> <couch." laughs> thing you know like it just I think I think it doesn't get enough credit for its its ability and John Carpenter's ability to weave these different genres into one cohesive piece that I think is better than the sum of its parts because this could have been a B movie that you could dismiss but again I think the cultural context of the time and how history is treated it's become something bigger and better than it maybe was viewed as originally and i think that's i think i'm just shocked even thinking about now how badly reviewed it was because i don't think people saying it's just a birth bag of a movie i think they're missing a lot of the point
1: there you know and that's that's from Roger Ebert who's probably the most esteemed. Yeah, film. but then again, Robert Ebert did say he liked that movie with Burt Reynolds, and I can't remember the kid's name called Cop and a Half, which oh, yeah. is is like tradition it's Gary supposed Gold. to be one of the worst rated buddy <laughs> cop Gary movies. Gary, <laughs> is it Gary yeah. Cole? Yeah, and like Ebert liked that as well. So I don't know, man. <laughs> Come I suppose on, critics is a whole it's an opinion based thing with yeah. critics, but but yeah, you're right. He he is recognised as like. I think an equivalent for him in the UK would have been uh, Barry Norman. Mm, Do you remember yeah. Barry Norman? Like I don't know, what, I, I don't know if he's still alive at the moment, but he he I used to watch him a lot as a kid. You he, he was very trusted in how, and it, he, I think Jonathan mm. Ross took over from him later on. But yeah, um, yeah. But I I honestly think what what worked
2: against it was the effects. If if the thing was somehow they stayed in human form, they never turned into this the grotesque monster i think people would have seen it as oh this is really effective really downplayed but then i think you're losing touch about what this like how scary this should be the aliens shouldn't look like people aliens shouldn't have big eyes they shouldn't look cute like the reason et was designed the way it was was because they said how far can we go with alien look without making them mean scary for kids we want wanted to be cute for kids they made his eyes big mm-hmm. they made him short all of this which they said how can we disgust uh, people as much as we can now you think about this like in in the late 70s they had aliens so they had that so they said well they made it kind of disgusting but we'll go even further than that and I think that's why it, that threat needs to be as ugly as it is because it works so much better it's so much more yeah. effective like you I don't think if like you said if the end he was in human form or if the alien looked like for example like E.T.
1: how effective is that going to be really I would be like I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm disconnected from yeah. that it's yeah. not scary reform. at all but I, I think that the thing itself the creature because it, it isn't the creature is a sum of what essentially the creature yeah. is a sum of whatever it's assimilated over x amount of millennia or however long it's been in existence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what makes it so effective and kind of horrifying is that yeah. it's not this, it's not something that retains a shape. It's not like um, it's not consistent. Yeah, like it. it's not like Jeff Bridges' Starman, who's yeah. just Jeff Bridges from space. But it's it's like everything is constantly changing and splitting and popping and bursting and yeah. stretching and it's it's. It's horrifying and you kind of lose that impact the more and more you Mm. watch it. But in terms of direction, I think, like, because we're kind of talking about it already without calling it out. But the direction of some of the transformations was phenomenal. And I think that that it's so intrinsic to the the type of creature you're looking at. And the the infamous scene with the defibrillator and how that whole thing reacts to fire how the head kind of splits off and stretches and turns it's into It's like spider trying to, it's like spider. trying to sk- like yeah, like, yeah.
2: Well, what's he say he's like um, the he- the head goes spiders and Palmer just goes you gotta be fucking kidding it's just it's Palmer like, that's, yeah, it, that's the character you, just, you were talking about earlier I love yeah, those yeah. I love those moments where people are just like what the hell <laughs> and it's like like this? I said when it does stretch and it's like it's trying to just like one part of it, it's trying to escape the yeah. fire or trying to escape the danger and if that's one part can get away that's fine, fine. fine. yeah. And I think that, like... But that's why the inconsistency of it makes it so amazing. Because then suddenly the kills can be a stomach ripping someone's arm off or someone's head turning yeah, into yeah. a Venus flytrap-style thing and lifting someone yeah. above the ground, you know? Yeah. like Or a head being able to walk away, like... Or suddenly having tentacles. It gives us so much more kind of menace, I think, that it's like this literally could be anyone, but it also can become yeah. anything. Because suddenly, like, you think, Oh, well... I'm safe here because I have the flamethrower, but then oh, it could be under the ground, or
1: it could yeah. be a dog, it could be anything. Or you, you could even be, have like, you could be infected, I guess, by one cell and that's gradually taking you yeah. up to the point where you lose sense of yourself when you're, yeah. you are know, this thing. I thought that in terms of direction, even prior to these amazing kind of visual effects of all pros- all prosthetic, all prosthesis, there's, or animatronics, whatever you want to call it, but if you look at the evolution of this creature from the beginning, so like when it when it splits out of the dog and starts grabbing the other dogs, uh, there's very unnatural kind of things coming out of it. You see like pincers, you see kind of that, that looks like a flower, but it's actually dog tongues, but it's still yeah. a flower shape, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, these are all creatures that it had, or these are all versions, you. yeah, from a different... Part of the universe but as it started to to pop and change and twist or whatever those words you want to use they became less alien looking and instead of kind of weird ten- tentacle pincers or whatever it was dogs heads and people's yeah. hands and limbs so it was starting to kind of acclimatize itself to the species on that planet which is freaking horrifying when yeah. you think about it. It's amazing though. Um, it's
0: it's a great continuity like for the throughout yeah. the movie that it, it gets to that point. Um and that that's it like I think a big testament to the, the guy who did the special effects.
2: He was a young guy as well. team yeah. Yeah, yeah he was in his early twenties and yeah. he just kind of knocked it out the park. Yeah. Right. And
0: he burnt himself out like he got John Carpenter sent him to hospital to recover from exhaustion because he was like sleeping on set. He was like working like 18 hour days. And he had a team of people. I think they said he had a team of.
1: He was like thirty or forty.
0: Yeah, thirty people or something like that. But he was just so committed to making everything look perfect that he was like he just did not stop working. Mm. Um, you can see that though. That that shows. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah.
2: I don't think it's. I actually don't think it's age particularly badly either. I don't. I think if you watch, if as a teenager you watch that, the scares are still scary. The jump scares are still there. The story is still there. The form is still there. Now you might say, oh. It, does, it doesn't look real, but it looks physical. You know, mm-hmm. in the room with them at that time was an actual prosthesis on fire. So that for me, that gives it a little bit more kind of yeah. realism. It definitely gives it a little bit more urgency because if you're, no matter what, even if it's a fake thing and you're in a room with something literally on fire, you're going to have a scared look on your face. And that adds to the performances. Yeah. So, or when they're actually in the cold, they don't go for it. Like you said, they're genuinely cold. They're not going for CGI breath, or they're not going for freezing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, genuinely cold. So it worked, and like that. All that's all comes down to someone like John Carpenter and the team he this team he assembled. Like he got Dean Kundi, and I honestly think the cinematography is amazing in this film. He got um, what's his name? You said his name. Sorry, the the guy who did the prosthetics on the a
1: rubber team. Yeah,
2: and then you have the cast, which is pitch perfect again because. But this is, this is, I think, a director who's not given enough credit for, like I said, weaving all of this into one great piece of work. So, yeah. And it's weird because I do think John Carpenter now is starting to fully be appreciated. Like I know Adam Wingard, who directed Your Next and uh, The Guest, heavily influenced by John Carpenter. And it's clear that, or the guy, who, the guy who writes and directs the, the Purge uh, series, he's openly said one of my biggest um, influences is John Carpenter. I think he actually wrote uh, Assault on Precinct 13, the remake so I love seeing these actors um, or these directors getting come up, the kind of the kudos they deserve because yeah. he wasn't really a part of Spielberg, Coppola, Lucas
1: from whatever called the Brat Pack, weren't they? Yeah, he he was like the the kind of fringe element. Yeah. yeah, he at the time he wasn't kind of I, I I think he was acknowledged, but he wasn't seen as as an influencer in mm. terms of cinema. I don't think. At but least it, then
2: yeah, but. like I think because I think it was well when you look at like when you watch something like Halloween. For besides the the fashion it's fairly timeless, like the idea of a of a babysitter being attacked by this murder on a murdering rampage. Like that is urban legend type stuff. And then the thing it still it still explores things that people will always feel they'll always have this paranoia about what's out there, what can affect you, you know. If people like look at the Zika virus now or SARS virus or the bird flu you know it's all of these things there's always these new threats these new it's threats. Still relevant exactly it's, it's still relevant still works and i think that's why it it can hold up and i'm just I like i said i can never i can never get over just how badly this did at the box office at the time yeah, because- yeah.
1: It's, it's strange because horror generally horror as a genre generally horror um will always gen- generally generally at least go out of its way to kind of replicate sociological fears or fears of society the best sci-fi of, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think with the, the reason why the thing is so timeless is because paranoia and kind of just, yeah. that fear is, is a persistent fear of 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 humanity and it, it just manifests itself continuously re, almost replicating the, the dynamic of the thing itself it's constantly it's the same thing but it's constantly changing, changing shape. adapting to the time yeah, dynamics, yeah. yeah. So I I thought that was really interesting. In terms of uh, cinematography, there's one the one scene one set of scenes in that film that I really loved. In the thing where the dog scenes you were talking about the yeah, dog a right, earlier, yeah, um There's the the first bit is where like they've taken it in like the the drama's over with the Norwegians kind of screwing up their assassination attempt, and you see there's so many more shots w- woven into the the cast kind of shots that you see the. The dog underneath the pool table, kind of looking, and at that point you're like, oh, uh, you <laughs> looking you, out the window. Then you see, okay. and it gets more and more purposeful. And more When they're taken off to, to to fly away to see the Norwegian camp, uh, to see what the hell went down there, you're looking out the window, and the look on that dog—it's what it's half wolf. And um, the guy that played Clark basically said that it was, it was a lovely dog, but it every now and again it would just switch and you you'd have to be a bit wary of it the scene where the camera is very close to the ground and it's i think it's the night after it's coming through the hallway yeah and it sort of pops its head through yeah it come, it's not looking it's not looking at any crew or anything it's yeah. it's like it's it knows that it's in a film and it needs to act this particular scene and it's just creepy as shit when it, you think about it's it It's really well yeah because the it, it, really
0: it comes down the hallway towards the camera and he looks. There's a room to the right of the dog, and then there's a room to the left, which is the room he eventually goes into. But like, he kind of walks up. The room to to, to his right is dark, so he kind of like just peeks his head slightly in the door. There's nobody in there, so yeah, he keeps not on walking. Time, yeah. yeah, and then like he comes towards the camera, and you see him kind of stop for a moment, and the camera like shows there's a guy in the room, um, you just see the silhouette, you don't know who it is, and then the dog, like after stopping for a second, then walks in, not uninvited, like just kind of walks in, because yeah. you just see the silhouette turning around, but he doesn't invite him in, mm. he just...
1: And there's the slow fade, to yeah. black, which is generally a trope, to kind of, to, to fade into yeah. that, like yeah, something's going to happen, you, you want <clears throat> to stay, and you want to see what happens next, but mm. your vision is fading, it's mm. blacking out, and yeah. it just switches to the next scene, and you're st- this lingering like, like is that dog, is that dog a right But I think
2: well, just even when you're saying how you see the dog walking through, I think Carpenter's sense of geography of the the base they're in is brilliant because you you get a sense of how small that is and how kind of how claustrophobic that could become. And like I said, you know where McCready lives, you know where the helicopter should be, you know where Doctor Blair is kept, and you know where most of the guys are. And that's literally because. Carpenter has decided to pretty much show you, not without you even knowing it, by like I said, by doing these following shots, by doing these cat, they're showing you these wide angle shots of mm-hmm. the rooms they're in. He says, This is the rooms they're in, there's no escape. This is the room, like the, with the defibrillary scene, you know how big that room is. Everyone goes into corner suddenly when everything goes crazy. So you know where, so yeah. you, know where how, you know how big it is suddenly. And I think that's what again makes it even more claustrophobic because once you start saying, Oh, well, all they can do is go outside and freeze it, or stay in this really small area space. and possibly die it's mm. it's I think it's amazing direction again and I think it comes down to how they shoot it and how again it comes down to Dean Cundey who I think again is a bit of a genius for this film I think I don't think there's ever been a better John Carpenter film to be honest mm.
1: I'd, I'd say like out of that era of his films because I think he kind of lost his didn't lose his way but I I, I don't know there's something changed in him in his later later films like ghost of mars i wasn't a huge fan <laughs> of yeah. that kind of thing um vampires was a bit james wood uh, i don't know like i watched that because of james woods <laughs> and i don't think cinema has enough james woods because yeah. he's crazy and cinema needs crazy sometimes but um i think oh. for me the thing was like if i looked at my favorite trilogies my favorite carpenter quadrilogy would be halloween prince of darkness big trouble in little china and the thing those four films influence me a lot mm. as I was growing up but I, I think it would be it, a top I think for me. Yeah.
2: I think if you look at John Carpenter I do think he is inconsistent that's that's fine I think he does have a hokey attitude sometimes Films like if you look at Big Trouble on China don't get me wrong it's fun it's great I have a good time watching it but I don't think there's a director there and you see and say, well, this director's voice is this. Whereas I think you see something like the thing and you say, this director knows exactly what he's doing and how he wants to tell a story. Whereas Big Tribal of China by its very essence is meant to be kind of a messy situation. So it's a messy film or something like um, Halloween. I think Halloween as well owes a big debt to the cinematographer, who I believe was Dean Fundy as well. Yeah, I, I think, think it's, it was the same crew, yeah. mostly the yeah. same crew. I think, home. like again, for someone for horror, a lot of it comes down to mood, um, and a lot of how you how you kind of create a mood is true to cinematography, how you shoot things. So I think that. But I think for the thing, it seems a lot of it is because of John Carpenter. Like I know there was a script written in nineteen eighty one, and he pretty much rewrote it a bit, and he said he didn't talk to any of the previous screeners because there was a few screenwriters he didn't talk to them, and he kind of did his own thing, and that's why he kind of said this is. And because you see a lot of directors been called auteurs, you have like Coppola, you'll have and um, Scorsese so and Spielberg's time. Um, but I think this is generally a true piece of like what Carpenter wanted, envisioned, and put on the screen. And I think he picked, I think he picked the right people to be part of the team. But ultimately, I think it comes back to Carpenter's vision. And I loved, I just loved that he got all of that on screen and it was it's
1: getting its dues now and he's getting his dues now as a director which is great so i just think it he also had like quite an emotional investment too because he or maybe not emotional but historical investment when he was a kid he said when he was about five he um watched um the original movie well you i guess you consider a b movie which which detracted from the original book the formula of the original book is very similar to the one in in Carpenter's 1982 yeah. mm-hmm. film, but he saw that the original film and it, it scared the shit out of him, um, and I think that stuck with him. and And he says that film was like an influencer in how he did film, um, and how he his love for for horror. and I think that might have kind of come back full circle when he was in the project for the thing and actually did that. Um, so you can definitely see, and he I think he even says in some interviews that it, his it's his favorite. It was his favorite film to work on, and it's, it still is it doesn't surprise yeah. me I just, I honestly think as some of its parts it's absolutely amazing and I, the
2: one thing I was surprised about because I, I, I think I knew it but when I was watching when I was re-watching it to see the name Ennio Morricone come up as the person who did the score and I think Ennio Morricone that's that's a big get yeah. but then I was thinking the reason I did I kind of put that in my head because obviously John Carpenter's a lot of his own scores and even then thinking back to the thing I thought it oh it's just John Carpenter. John Carpenter so I think it was almost again Mario Mar- Marconi which I think is one of the biggest compliments you can get Ennio er- er- Marconi saying I am going to do John Carpenter I'm pretty much going to do John Carpenter Ennio yeah. Marconi style and that must have been one of the biggest compliments you can receive from from one of the best composers of all time Like yeah. you look at something like Assault and Precinct 13 or Halloween they're their iconic scores in there by John Carpenter, who also wrote and also directed these <laughs> films, you know. And it, it's insane for someone to have that much creativity in their head. And I think this, that's what I mean, it's an explosion of creativity, whether it's the cinematography, the music, the, sh- the how the film shot, everything, the story. And that's all kind of, I think that's all from
1: John Carpenter as a f- like almost like a force. The of music. music is amazing, though. Like, yeah. I think it's it's yeah. iconic. It's ridiculously simple because it's you can you can actually see the Ennio Morricone parts and the Carpenter parts in that yeah. music like the very simple like kind of boom boom mm. boom that's that's Carpenter and then you get like at some certain points the, the music flares up in this like orchestral like really high like really High pitched kind of violin, mm. uh, which was actually quite a big trope in sci-fi. Yeah, uh, you can actually hear that in in uh, horror alien, as well, the, the alien kind of mm. movies and and horror. So yeah, Psycho the
2: biggest example of it. So yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I th- I think that was just brilliant like i love that kind of music and it, it's so um evocative when you're watching a film like that because I, I love sci-fi and horror is also a, a set my second favorite genre mm. like, so, that, so combining the two perfect mix
2: but it, it's it's funny because like technically this this is a genre film but like i said i think it, it can transcend both it's not simply a oh, sci-fi it's not simply yeah. a horror film like because like i said we can talk about now like i said i don't know if if John's character had it, but, you know, death of the author type thing, we can say now, oh, well, you know, what was that paranoia about the Cold War. Also, the AIDS virus at this time, so suddenly them testing, so of blood, takes on a whole new meaning. And we can bring that meaning onto it, but the fact is, even if he didn't mean to, he was able to, because it came out, and because of the way he framed it, because of the way he wrote it, we can't put that meaning onto it. And that's what the best art does. It's not suddenly, it's not something where you can say, oh, it is what it is, or what you see is what you get. This is, no, no. There's layers to this, and we can keep on. Like if you look at the, the fan theories of what who was the thing, who wasn't the thing at the end. Like yeah. There's some theories that McCready is the thing at the end, there's some theories that Child is the thing at the end. Because remember what McCready said? Oh, he probably just wants to sleep and Tom himself and out. Wait. And yeah. he's the one who he's the one who at the end says, "Let's just wait and see what happens." So he's the one who's willing to wait, and that's why people have now said, "Oh, maybe McCready was actually the thing." And the reason he says, "Let's wait," is because he knows he'll freeze. And he can go back to being the thing again and yeah. infecting the rest of the world. And then some people think Childs is. Now, I actually thought Childs was the thing at the end. And I think I've, I explained to use earlier yeah, on about how here. he takes the the beer bottle. But we did, the last time we saw McCready with any kind of alcohol in his hand was using as Molotov cocktails. So we can only assume they were filled with lighter fluid. And then suddenly the next bottle he hands to someone is Childs who drinks it and McCready's first reaction is to kind of chuckle Love. to himself yeah. and just <laughs> stare at a child so you think hmm that's a bit odd <laughs> so like it is I think a film like this like, that can have that many layers by being simple and it is a simple film like the premise is simple but like I said by having that layers to an, a simple film I think is something that it cannot be underestimated
1: I think yeah. it's a masterpiece to be honest it's, it's an, a very <laughs> ambiguous ending which yeah. I quite it for a good reason and I think that's what makes it work so well but the ambiguity was even to start
2: because we don't know why they're there the ambiguity is what is Charles doing here? What it? What, yeah. You don't know I even. Mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because Charles, runs off at the, 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 in the final act. Like some, I think, I, I think it's Norse that sees him run off. Yeah. And as the the him Gary and Macready, kind of, sorry, um, Norse, Gary Macready, kind of going to, to set up set the bombs and, and yeah. stuff up. And Norse says, "I just saw him run off. He just saw him run." Off. Yeah. Um, and you don't. That's the last you hear him, and then he suddenly turns up at the end. So yeah. It's, it's there's a huge gap, intentional gap there. And I think it's designed perfectly for this kind of discussion because yeah. at the end you're like, well, like, this, I I think he's the thing because of this, so I think he's the thing, yeah. and I'm pretty sure. I mean, if we, if you go onto YouTube, you can find entire videos of people Breaking discussing down. that yeah, one yeah. ending yeah. scene, uh, which is really interesting. But it's, isn't um,
2: it great that the like red herrings are cheap? But I love the way in the thing they're not cheap because it adds to the story. Red herrings will make the story so suddenly, like like for example, for, like I'm gonna test your blood and make that in some way tense because you're kind of thinking this literally could be anyone so mm-hmm. you get that jump scare of the blood jumping up but you can make red herrings then because well maybe mccready is maybe Childs is maybe is but the point is it's not cheap because that's genuinely part of the story is to be paranoid whereas if you're watching films sometimes they'll throw red herrings in just because they want to trick the viewer or they want the story to move at a certain pace or they want to slow the story down whereas with this the red herrings actually actively make that story more interesting, more paranoid. More intense, and I think, th- like, again, like you you can't. How I don't know how this wasn't applied at the time, like, literally, the structure of this film, how it was structured, is I think so perfect. It is close to for me, like, it is close to the perfect
1: horror film, close to sci fi film, so yeah. it's very well executed. So, that's that's okay, so. Before we ask the ultimate question, does it deserve to be on the list? I had a question for you guys. Like, I always seem to have a question yes. for you guys. <laughs> this question is, do you think that The Thing was, based on the, the, the understanding that The Thing technically will only react if it feels like it's threatened, do you think The Thing was an aggressive force in this film? Do you think that it was an attacker yeah. as opposed to...
0: I think it's too hard to tell because there's there's so much there is so much ambiguity. You don't know what why it came to Earth. You don't know if it just crash landed, if if it had intended to come here, uh, if it was running away from something. Because you don't see you don't see inside the spaceship. You only see the spaceship, and it's a pretty big, pretty big fucking spaceship. You only see one of the kind of blocks of ice that the thing was cut out of. Um, we don't know if the Norwegians finished like investigating the spaceship. You don't know what else is in there. You don't know what else could have been at their base that might have gotten away. They might have found another one. So I I don't know. Like it could be, like you're saying, it only reacts when it feels threatened. So maybe it just wanted to find a way home because you you see when uh, the doctor gets taken over um he's creating this he's spaceship. creating a, a mini spaceship so maybe it's, it's, it's a just miniature what, version yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah yeah he just probably wants to get away yeah <laughs> like he doesn't want to be on this planet anymore or maybe he's maybe it's not a spaceship maybe that's a distress beacon like we don't know and it's it's literally just reacting to like
1: self-defense because people keep trying to set it on fire yeah uh, <laughs> I, I think that's the, that's the thing is like because I, I was thinking about this question when we went to cinema to see it like so I I went into watching it on the big screen with the intention of like just really looking at the scenes where the the, the special effects essentially where the thing shows itself in whatever capacity and pretty much every single one was a reaction to something that was done to it or a perceived threat. So the dog going into the into the cage. The dogs um, are the him, dogs yeah. growling. The dogs are growling. They kind of form Sorry, a perimeter. Yeah. It starts to. It, it sits there for a while and then starts to kind of. You can hear it moving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The um, the defibrillator scene, that's arguable, but I think if. But they, didn't they do it once? They do it twice, so, actually. It's two times.
0: The second time it, it goes through the yeah, chest. Yeah. So, so the like, first time you're shocking it and it's like, what the well, fuck? Are well, you <laughs> kidding me? Like, I'm going to yeah.
1: bite your arms off. Yeah. Um, but I think that character was someone who had was taken over by it wasn't replicated Mm -hmm. because he passes out and that i think is he's just his Mm -hmm. his old nervous system is reacting in some way the 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 death throes of of him or whatever but yeah i i i don't know and and um there's one of the the other character at like the very beginning like the iconic scene where um i'm trying to remember the name of the actual character the guy gets shot um peter maloney he plays george who plays bennings um he's running he actually he, this is, this is like the thing Benning, so he's been taken over, but he's running out of the camp. He's trying mm. to get the hell away, and he kind of... He hasn't fully formed into Bennings yet. Yeah, he's just got the And hand. he falls to his knees, and he's just kneeling. And they're oh, all standing yeah. around him, and he's just, like, screaming at them. And he's not trying to attack them. He's just kneeling and screaming. And they, they obviously burn him. Yeah. But um, I, I just find it interesting spin, because it's not an aggressive creature by any means, I don't think. Well, if, yeah. if
2: it's not aggressive, but it's killing the people well, Oh well, yeah, like, I mean... Over. But ha- maybe it's how not it's,
0: killing them. Maybe it's literally just... There, he's using them as a host until it like can imitating. find a way. Or like we don't know if it can also read somebody. Is, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> screw <laughs> this. That's
2: why I would never be friends with Steve machine I will not <laughs> trust anybody. Okay. No, that alien. That alien is there to take over. In my eyes, anyway. I think Blair was right. Blair was the one sane man in the
1: when all the insanity started kicking up, and he said, "This is out to." take over as much mm-hmm. as so possible. So you wouldn't be Windows then? You would be the guy that goes mental and starts smashing up their communication. <laughs> why not? And why not? <laughs> um, this is good to know. If we yeah. go to the Arctic... Well, don't I thought we were gabanets. all testing just
2: blood after, the, after we finish this podcast. So. Yeah. yeah. We're all going to test just blood yeah. and now burn it and see yeah. what happens because yeah. I
1: feel like Williams could be the thing. You know? We should do... I think we should not do that and do the, 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 the test that they do in the prequel, the 2011 movie where they just look at each other's feelings. It's oh, far right. more passive. Probably and, less
2: invasive too, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that's actually
1: a good point in terms of the, the, the 2011 version. There's a little bit more lore laid in. Mm. Like, they go into the craft and uh, they, they add extra elements. Like, they, they realise the thing can't replicate synthetic matter. So they they kind of have... They don't have the same rough-and-ready, hot-wiring, blood sample, blood test kind of thing. But yeah. they, they do reference each other's earrings. Like, again, everyone has earrings in the Norwegian camp, apparently, mm-hmm. similar to the US camp. But, yeah, like, I actually... Anyone listening, if you want... I actually found the 2011 film quite interesting and I enjoyed it. The only thing is, though, I
2: will say this, if, for example, if they did the original and they said, oh, let's just check each other's fillings, I don't get, I don't, like, I think it's it's a pretty good idea and, and scientifically it's fairly sound especially in a sci-fi where you know pseudoscience is king but i find where's the where's the the tension then like that scene is tense because he's going oh, one, yeah, yeah. like, one by one by one and then you have gary yeah. who like i said tied up yeah. next to him and he explodes when he gets <laughs> when he finds it out and i think i think you i think that's i think it's a great idea but i think sometimes for for the intricate ideas that you... The right ideas sometimes aren't the best ideas for a narrative, and I think that's what John Carpenter. John Carpenter didn't go. F- the reason he didn't go for scientists, like I said, was he wanted this to be normal people, and like they're not going to probably even think, oh, you know what, maybe it can
1: replicate synthetic
2: <laughs> synthetic tissue, so. Yeah. Let's just let's just take some blood and burn it.
1: <laughs> I, I think it worked in their favor though. Like if you if you compare to how the Norwegian camp dealt with it in the prequel, there were there were, there were lots of scientists, there were lots of brains. Yeah, yeah. There. All right, yeah, that's um, good. not much brawn, but they they didn't have that kind of level of oh shit! Like we need to react to this now. Panic, kind of fan, panic. Yeah. They wanted to study and analyze, and there was everyone was trying to be all calm and collected, and and in being like that the thing was able to get a head start in terms of um, infiltrating them. And it, that's where the issue came from. Like, there was a couple of dudes there who were very similar to the crew, played by Americans, actually very similar to the crew in the US base, the pilots, um, who were very much like MacReady's, but they were in a minority and everyone else was just arguing over who should have this this scientific find, like, mm. we need to keep this a secret or we need to kind mm-hmm. of make sure we're being thorough even though people have already died. Um, and I think that was their downfall, their kind of reluctance to realise that this was actually a, a real really threat, dangerous yeah. threat. Like, um, And it was far more aggressive in the prequel. But
2: that, that kind of goes hand in hand with how modern horrors i suppose they yeah. everything's amped up to end yeah. degree I, I, I watched i to be honest i only watched the first 15 20 minutes of it but um i just like i said i think with the thing when you're when i'm comparing it to 19, the 1980 one which is now i honestly like it was always in kind of my the upper echelons of like whatever top 100 i have in my head but it really has gone quite close to the top after this rewatch i maybe it's because like i said i'm analyzing on a lot deeper level but i because of that, I'm just blown away by how well put together it is. So maybe that's where it is.
0: But actually one of the awesome things that stands out, to, to me anyway, like after finding out what your man says in Norwegian at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: and he's he's a character, in, in the film, he's, like, he's yeah. the only character that doesn't actually speak any English, understand any English as well. But
0: it plays into the paranoia thing and like the the guy's not knowing really what the hell is happening at the beginning so when the when the helicopter crashes or when they land i suppose um and your man jumps off to try and shoot the dog again he's like shouting in norwegian that but oh, sure, yeah yeah it's not a dog it's not it's yeah it's, it, says it's, it's a thing yeah it's a thing yeah. but obviously they don't speak norwegian so they don't know what he's saying and he's not shooting at your man he just happens to, sh- to shoot him because they're not they're standing around doing nothing mm. when he's trying to no kill this this threat and then he gets shot in the face um by gary by gary through a window cut it. it's gary. a good shot <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, <too> <laughs> it's a good kind of contrast i suppose like between the what they perceive as a threat and what the actual threat is it yeah. wasn't your man with the gun it was the threats from within yeah
2: literally like that's what works i think yeah. um but for me i don't have a lot more to say because i probably fawned on it over a little bit too much but um i think for me I know we're going to do top tens at the end of the year, about what our favourite films were. And I'd say over this, so far up to five or six we've done now, this is going to be number one as of right now. Yeah. yeah Whoa, my favorite it's my favourite we've done on the it's podcast. A of, it's part. a lot of weeks before the end of the year. Yeah, I know. It's a
1: bold it's statement. It's a bold coming. statement. Yeah, okay, so that's good. So do, do you think that, I think we know your answer Yes. Guess. But Craig, should this be
0: in the list? Yeah, like even before watching it again, like I was dying to go see it in the cinema. Uh, when we went to see it there a couple of weeks ago, I was very drunk when I watched it, and I think that also added to <laughs> the pleasure of it all. <laughs> but like I used to watch this film as a kind of something that I would watch going to sleep, along with Blade Runner as well. Surprisingly enough, I kind of didn't make the connection that they both came out in the same week or the same day. Mm. But both of those movies are are on my kind of like. Before You Die List Anyway. Before You Die List Anyway. And I would watch them going to bed. Like, I used to use them as movies that would put me to sleep. Because they were so... Like they were yeah, like comfort movies. Um, you had a weird child. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it's something about the atmosphere, like, the snow, the, like, being, like, kind of snuggled up in bed, like, watching this film, like, on your side. Like, they're freezing. You're really warm. The, the pace of it, like, the music, like, the the really heavy bass tones like it's just so comforting in some way Uh, just the whole atmosphere of the movie like it's it's so well paced there's no downtime there's no boring bits I think every second of screen time is taken up with something yeah um, nothing is wasted no um they cut a lot of stuff out of the movie that they didn't think was useful there's a whole intro where they introduced the whole ca- the entire like, every single character and what they did they got rid of that there was like additional special effects or stop motion that they used that they, they took out as well because it just didn't serve uh, the movie or the story and uh it's amazing it's just such a great film like it, even with it's the like we were saying earlier the characters who are not really scientists for the most part and we don't really understand why they're there in the first place what they're research. researching yeah they're, whatever research quote air quotes that they're doing um is never explained but it doesn't have to be because it's a sci-fi movie it's more about the the story between the characters and and the that's of the alien and and the only the only criticism i have is when kurt russell mccready gets in the helicopter to go to the norwegian camp and it's whatever like minus However many degrees outside, and everybody else is wrapped up in their their snow gear and their hats and and everything else. And Kurt Russell, with his his long locks flowing, (laughs) is just has this like almost I would say like really cheap like party shop fucking cowboy hat strapped to the back of his head. But he's he has no cover whatsoever. He's going out in like pretty much a shirt and like combats into the snow to fly a helicopter.
1: I'm like, L'Oreal
0: quality.
2: Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure he is literally pumped full of alcohol vodka and whiskey. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think
0: yeah. that's, that's the only thing I can think of that might redeem him in, in that way, like that he just doesn't feel it. But other than that, I have I have zero criticisms. Like I love each of the characters, even though it's really difficult to remember their names. No matter how many times I watch the film, <laughs> I just cannot. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah, it's it's strange because they're not developed. But they don't have to be. They're just kind of caricatures, each one of them. Yeah, it's um, like you're watching
1: a snapshot of just a bunch of regular dudes. Apart from, I think, Keith David and uh, Kurt Russell, you do kind of remember because they're memorable actors. But the actors themselves, outside of those two, generally like aren't A-list stars. They're character just, they're just like, characters. Yeah, very, yeah, very yeah. much character actors, yeah. But I would definitely put this on my list too. Carpenter, 1980s Carpenter, is one of my favourite directors of oh. all time. Pretty much every film he made in the 1980s, I adore in for many different reasons. Um, the Thing is definitely up there. It started as a film which I watched as a naughty boy. I kind of snuck down as a kid and watched it because my grandfather was a big film buff as well. That's exactly what I he was always my, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my first experience of like body horror horror. And it kind of evolved. My appreciation of it changed as I got older and I started to pick apart to to this point right now, which is where we're kind of dissecting it and talking about kind of cultural impact and directing skills and cinematography and cast and music. And it's evolved so much from there. Mm. So definitely... And it's actually one of my all-time favorite movies of all time. Not only one that's relevant on this list, but Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. And anyone listening should watch this film if they haven't already seen yeah, it. if you haven't, absolutely.
0: And then I'm going to go and watch the prequel
1: <laughs> as well. Watch the prequel. It's I, I I will defend it a little bit, Um, even though the CGI is a bit un- awkward, I think, now. Um, and they opted for that a little bit more than actual the Rob Teen style benchmark, yeah. which actually was a ben- benchmark for special effects at that time. Definitely good. You get to see what happens in Norwegian camp, continuity in general is fantastic. They really took that Norwegian camp kind of destruction and turned it into a pre-destruction Norwegian camp perfectly, yeah. you see yeah. where the ax is in the door, you see the kind of why there's a massive kind of explosion through the ceiling. Where that guy froze. The guy to, he's he's frozen he's
2: to his chair. Yeah, she, 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 that's she, explained, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, he's so slits his throat. The lets yeah. his
1: wrist and his it's uh, throat,
0: yeah. It's yeah.
1: so a definite yes from, from everybody. From the team. good team. Yeah, so um what's the next week's film that we're going to be talking about what's the next one eight (laughs) (laughs) it's actually cool i haven't talked about a michael mann film for a long time it's the al pacino rob de niro um crime epic (laughs) what do you got 1995 full improv from al pacino it's going to be great (laughs) um so that's the next one and uh where can where can we be found where are we located in the world's wide web.
0: We are on the Twitter at Before you Die Pod, uh, on Facebook by just searching Before You Die Podcast. And uh, we're also on our very own interweb website, BeforeYouDiePodcast.com. And you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, all those other things that you can search for podcasts on. And we'd very much appreciate if you could Subscribe on iTunes or leave a review or even leave a comment on the website and we'll respond to you. We got our first couple of comments. Thankfully, this week we like talking to people. Yeah, we do. We do like talking yeah. to people, not just ourselves. So please talk to us.
1: <laughs> we're actually recording this in separate rooms right now. Yeah, um, yeah we've just never actually assuming met face what to face. we're gonna say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Let's wave with the microphone. Bye. Bye.